Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Would you please stand for the call to worship? I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Would you please bow your heads in prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day asking that you quiet our hearts and minds pouring out your Holy Spirit on us, that we may focus solely on you and your word and all that you would have us here this day, your day. Please give peace to those here this day that are struggling with loss, broken hearts, anxiety, and any other distractions. And we thank you for all that you have done for us this week. Bless this time before us and open our minds that we may be filled with your spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
That is why we gather each week to praise our God. And we are glad that you are here. Take a moment and share a word of greeting, a word of peace and grace to others who are here in worship today. Imagine a gift so powerful in its simplicity, it can electrify the emotion. It can inspire for generations. Gifts are filled with endless possibility when they've been packed with love and sent in the name of Jesus. That's the power of a simple gift. Now imagine the power of 100 million simple gifts with Operation Christmas Child. Wow, isn't that cool? A hundred million shoeboxes. We come to celebrate what God has done. This is the first time they have got the gifts ever in their lifetime. She is in heaven. Sharing Christ's love in a tangible way has been the heartbeat of Operation Christmas Child for 20 years now. It is a ministry that captures the heart and the imagination. All around the country, volunteers are excited about Operation Christmas Child. They're packing boxes, hosting packing parties, and getting the word out about the project. Evelyn and I are going cross-country to collect items to put into the 100 millionth shoebox for Operation Christmas Child. Come on, let's go. All right. Got involved with Operation Christmas Child because it helps needy kids. What would you say to other kids out there who maybe want to do something to help other kids? Go ahead. It's, it's a hands-on project. Anybody can do it. For Operation Christmas Child, prayer is the glue that holds it all together. And these boxes carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I received my shoe box, it was my first Christmas gift ever. That's when I heard about Jesus Christ. Woo! Boy, it is fun. Man, we just keep on rolling. Operation Christmas Child has been like a key in our hand. And because of that, we even know stories where new churches being planted in new places. We are now training for the greatest journey so that they can be able to teach other children. has a very unique story. Her mother came to the father and just didn't want her anymore. He drove her to Brenda's aunt's house. When they brought her to me, she was five months old and weighed only four pounds. If my nephew had not brought her to me, she was going to die. I want you to know that I love you and that God loves you. To think about 100 million shoebox gifts, wow, amazing. You know, every shoebox is important. They're kind of like snowflakes. There's no two boxes alike. And every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. We need your prayers and we need your help. We're once again participating in Operation Christmas Child, joining churches all over the country and the world. And we're starting uh, today to uh, uh, make you aware of this. There's an insert in your bulletin about 
uh, how to pack your shoebox. You can bring them to the church. We're putting a table out in the, or there is a table of more information in the Christian education foyer. Uh, over the next few weeks, bring them, and you see in the bulletin information about the when and the where. And we would love to get a couple hundred shoeboxes uh, that we can send down to the distribution center. So thanks in advance for participating in this ministry and helping out children who probably would have nothing else, uh, no other gifts to receive. There are just a few things in the bulletin that I want to highlight. You see the insert about uh, ministry to um, our senior citizens who have a difficult time getting out and once a week, taking them shopping, going to the nutrition center. And if you're interested in helping with that, that would be greatly appreciated. And you can contact the church office or Sandy Blake. Uh, also, uh, we are putting together, renewing our nursing home ministry. And uh, we encourage students to be a part of this, but also people who are in the community year-round. And so we'd love to have you participate. You can see the information. There's a meeting tomorrow at 1230. But if you can't attend that and you're interested, just contact uh, Paul Shea or the church office. And we are... Continuing to gather recipes for the Fruit of the Spirit uh, recipe book. And a couple of things I wanted to make clear. One is it doesn't have to be desserts. Uh, you might have a recipe with fruit in it, uh, one of the fruit that is not a dessert. We'd love to have that. And also feel free to submit more than one recipe. Uh, multiple recipes would be great. What we would love to do is that the whole book is recipes from us. And so that, that's our goal. So uh, thanks for, for helping out with that. And uh, probably the one fruit that is, we're a little slow on is grapes. So you're going to have to think hard about some grape recipes. Maybe try something over the next few weeks. Make something up. Um, just make sure it works before you submit it. That's all we're asking. <laughs> thanks again in advance for helping with that. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 86. Supplication for help against enemies, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. 
Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward. that the offerings given this day are used to further the building of your kingdom and that they are offerings given of the heart, that they are offerings of sincere gratitude for all that you do for us each and every day. This is but a small token of what we have, and we ask that you remind us of your blessings every moment of every day. Amen. God who calls us to come to him invites us to offer our prayers to him. As we pray together today, if you would like to come and kneel at the altar rail and offer your prayers, please come and join me.
God Almighty, we come today to worship you, to honor you, to offer our lives to you. We come asking that you will be our vision, our focus, everything about our lives. As we gather today, we, we come to this moment of prayer because you invite us in your love and compassion You call us to pour out our hearts to you. In this moment of silence, we think about the needs in our own lives, the needs of those who are very close to us, and we pray for them. Father, thank you for giving comfort and healing, for the promise of restoration, for your grace in us. We pray not only for ourselves, but also for the world. We pray for the county in which we live, our state, our nation, and we think especially of the leaders of our nation right now. We pray for our world, people who are facing very difficult life circumstances, even the most basic things, for our brothers and sisters who face persecution and struggles that are hard for us to imagine. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for others. Father, thank you for your active grace in our world. May it be evident. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong, loving, powerful name of Jesus, the incarnate Son, crucified Savior, the risen Lord, the returning King, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you please stand for the reading from the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord gave, sorry, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. 
But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I doubt if it's a secret to anyone that human beings struggle with impatience. We're all probably pretty much walking uh, billboards for impatience. I don't know exactly what sort of stirs that impatience in you, but it, it might be different, though there are probably some similar things. But we're going to do something. I'm going to push you outside your comfort zones here a little bit this morning. And what I'd like for you to do is take, we're going to take 60, 75 seconds to sort of huddle up with people who are near you and share real briefly a recent moment of impatience. All right? Go. Okay, I'm going to have you stop there. I can tell we have a lot of impatience in this group. 
I mean, we could, I, th- I got the feeling we could have done that for a while. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You know, we, we picked the orange as our fruit today to symbolize patience because it is such a maddening thing to get open, right? I had someone after first service say their strategy is you just smash it down, rub it around, and then it just sort of peels off. And I think any fruit that you have to smash it to open it might not be the best thing to eat it. But they said it was fine. Um, and, you know, then once you get it open and you start peeling the layers off of it, the, the pieces, you know, you out of this huge space, the thing squirts and where does it go? Right in your eye, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. We all wrestle with impatience. Now, I don't know what you guys were talking about today. I know my own. I, I suspect that for some of us, maybe a high percentage of us, impatience takes place when we're driving, uh, when we're in the car, maybe even recently as we're waiting here for them to, uh, for them to do the, the road work here. Um, go ahead and flash up those couple of pictures there, yeah. Look familiar to anybody? Maybe it's, for, maybe it's something related to family, where you have some family issues. For me, it's often our dog. Uh, makes me very impatient, as he did this morning. And, I, and I've just, I discovered that there is one solution that I found on the Internet of what to do if you're really impatient. <laughs> last resort. That's all I would say this is the last resort. We wrestle with impatience. It's, it's, you know, it's a struggle we have. And, and I think that's why when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. The more I ponder patience, the more it seems to me that maybe patience might be the, the most profound sign of spirituality. I mean, obviously, it's a part of love and, and love is, is significant, but love can be a little bit nebulous. Patience is pretty clear. We're patient or we're not. And, and Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, if your life is absorbed by the Spirit, if all that you're doing is connected to the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit then one of the characteristics of the Spirit that's going to come out of you is patience. Now, this word that is, that is translated patience is translated other ways, and maybe actually a, a better translation for understanding it is the word long-suffering. That's how the, a lot of the other translations talk about it. It's long-suffering. And, you know, that, that has a little different, different dimension to the idea of it, of, of suffering long with people or circumstances. You might also say it's, it's being long-tempered. Now, we talk a lot about being short-tempered. This is the opposite of that. We are long-tempered. It is, and it is like all the other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit... Something that can only be experienced, what sets it apart in, in, as something that, as of the spirit, as opposed to just a general characteristic in the world, is that it is always designed, always thinking about self-giving, self-sacrifice. It is, in essence, the very definition of it is holding back what we would really like to do. When we want our temper to go, we hold it back. When we want to lash out, we hold it back. At the root of this understanding of patience or long-suffering, being long-tempered, it, it really is at the heart of the, the character of God. It amazes me when, back in Exodus, when God says to Moses, this is how... I, this is how I want you to explain me to the Israelites. And he says to them, be long-tempered. I am long-tempered. I am slow to anger among the characteristics of who I am. 
And he says it in Exodus, he says it in Numbers, he says it in the psalm that we read this morning. And he's over and over again, at least nine times, God specifically says, I am slow to anger among the characteristics of who I am. This is how you will know me. This is who I am. I am slow to anger. And that's why I want you to be slow to anger. It starts with God. Now, you, there aren't very many places in Scripture where God is described as being, being a, having a sort of a hair-trigger temper. There are a few places where God certainly gets frustrated with people. I think about Jesus, even in the disciples. And they're walking along, and he hears them arguing about who's the greatest. And I, I can visualize this conversation. He goes back to them and says, really, you're arguing about this again? Are you kidding me? On those last hours when he's in the upper room with them and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know the way I'm going because I've been telling you about it for three years. And Thomas says, "Um, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. Really? Come on. And yet even in that frustration, he is patient. He is long-suffering with them. He is slow to anger. And even, and the thing is, we, we come to know God so much by His patience that those few times when God exhibits something other than that, we are shocked. And we're almost offended by that. And in our human arrogance, we don't say, wow, aren't we fortunate that there are so few of those moments? But rather, uh, God, you're going to have to explain that one to us because that doesn't fit what we think about you. It becomes who God is, patient, slow to anger. You know, it, it's not a coincidence that the, the English word patience is, sounds very similar to what we t- call someone who has been admitted to the hospital. Because when you're lying in a hospital bed, you're at the mercy of other people. And you can push the call button as much as you want... They may come, may not, because there's a whole lot of people they're taking care of. And they've got six people pushing the button. And when you're lying there in bed with nothing to do and you don't feel good, everything is about now. Probably one of the most profound places in the world to learn patience. God is patient. And he calls us to be patient. So Jesus tells this parable. This guy owed his master millions of dollars. And he goes to him and says, be patient with me. And I'll pay back everything. Which is ludicrous. It take 20 lifetimes to pay back everything. And the master says, okay. I'm patient with you. And the guy goes outside and a friend owes him a few dollars and he says the exact same thing. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And he has him thrown into prison. And it's not a coincidence that that parable is Jesus' answer to Peter's question. How many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Or another way of saying it, how many times do I have to be patient With this person who's driving me crazy. Seven times? That sounds pretty good. That's more than Thomas. It's better than John. And Jesus says, we have a little different way of of framing those things in the economy of the kingdom. How about never ending? It's because God is patient with us that we are able to be patient with others. If God were not patient with us, we wouldn't be here to even be thinking and talking about patience. And he calls us to be patient with each other in our struggle to be impatient, our struggle to forgive, our struggle to be humble, our struggle to, to, to react to people the way God does. And we are all grateful because we know our own struggles. We're so grateful that God is patient with us. 
Or we just wrestle being patient with others. But here's the other thing that's come to my mind as I've been pondering this about the patience of God is that we like the fact that God is patient with us. What we're not so thrilled about is the fact that God is just patient about everything. In the last chapter of Richard Mao's book, Uncommon Decency, he titles it, Serving a Slow God. And I think there is great power in understanding that. And I wonder sometimes if our, if our greatest struggle with being patient is really less about us and other people or even us and circumstances, but it's really about us and God. When you read through the Old Testament, how often you'll hear the, the writers and the people cry out, How long, O Lord? How long do we have to wait? How long until you're going to do something? How long until you're going to rescue us? How long until you're going to change our circumstances? How long until, until you, you stop standing there and you get involved? How long, O oh Lord? And we pray the same prayers, maybe using different words. It's intriguing to me that when Jesus is, after he has risen and he is preparing just about to ascend into heaven and he's meeting with the disciples and preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit, he only gives them one command. Wait. Wait. When you read the scriptures, you get a sense that God is enamored with waiting. God is enamored with taking his time. And we struggle with that because we've got so much to do. We've got people to help. We've got the world to save. God, you're going too slow. This is taking too long. Don't you understand? And, and, and it's almost as though we are saying, if it weren't for us, nothing would get done. God, you're going to have to catch up with us. So why is God so enamored with waiting? Why is God so, so interested in continually cause, putting us in situations where we wait? I think one thing is because when you're in a circumstance where you have to wait, what's inside of us begins to leak out. When we are in positions where we have to wait, we feel out of control. And when we feel out of control, what is really going on inside of us comes out of us. And it's important for us to know that. And God realizes that without those waiting periods where we see who we truly are and we recognize some of the stuff in us that needs to be changed, we'll ignore it. We'll deny it. Craig Barnes tells about uh, Ernest Hemingway, who was a soldier in World War I and was injured, and I think they pulled 237 pieces of shrapnel out of his body. And he, as, he, as he lie over the months in this hospital, recovering from his injuries, he watched all the other injured people who were there with him. And it was one of those open wards that they always had, they used to have with Soldiers all over the place and beds everywhere. And you could see each other. And He said he watched people and how they reacted to being in that circumstance. And some people took it as a challenge to grow during that time. And, and they used the waiting to, to read and to challenge themselves and to, to become more mature as just human beings. And other people did the exact opposite. They wasted it. They, they just whined and complained and... and and exuded their immaturity. And it made a deep impression on Hemingway so that when he, when, he, when he recovered and he started writing his novels, often his plot lines have someone put in a position where they are forced in a circumstance to wait and they have to decide how they're going to respond and the story worked its way out of that. And he was convinced that those periods of waiting tell a lot about our character. What's important to us? What's inside of us? And I suspect that is one of the reasons that God puts us in places where we have to wait. 
But I also think that waiting, I'm convinced waiting is the only place, the only way we can really learn to trust God. You can't learn to trust just by theory. The only way you can learn to trust is to be placed in a position where you have to decide to trust. And we can talk about trust. We can explain it. And we can go to great lengths to describe it. But ultimately, the only way to learn to trust is to be placed in a position where you have to decide to trust. And God wants us desperately to learn to trust him because only as we trust him, only as we surrender ourselves to him, only if we place our hope in him, will we experience the fullness of his life in us. Because in trusting, we open up more of ourselves to him and he comes in his fullness and he fills us with his peace and his joy and his grace and his presence And we begin to experience what we were created to experience and what we were being continually recreated to experience. But its roots are back in waiting. So Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord, those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and soar become the people God created them to be. There is a sense in waiting that we learn to trust. I know it's hard for us because we live in a world where everything is about now. It's about the immediate. We are always looking for ways to bypass waiting, to bypass even being challenged about patience. I mean, you think about how we do in major cities, how we do tolls anymore. You know, you, you don't, we don't, it's too long to wait in a toll line for the, to pay the toll. So now we created Easy Pass. And it's a great thing, but that can be slow too because you have to at least you have to slow down a little bit. So now there are places where you drive and you just go right on through it and they take a picture of your license plate. And within a few weeks, you go online and you pay your toll. Faster, faster, faster. You know, how, you know, what we do with a lot of our restaurants is how fast can we get our food? We aren't even that concerned about what it tastes like anymore. It's just how fast we can get it. You know, it was, it was you know, we used to sit down at a restaurant and now, you know, you, and you wait to be served. And then we created restaurants where you go to a, a counter and they hand you your food and they're making it. They have it made before you get there a lot of times. And, and you, you take your food, but that wasn't fast enough. And so we uh, do, as John Ortberg said, we get food through the drive-thru so we can eat it in cars like God intended us to. <laughs> and even, we've even pushed that because now you can order, you can go online or you can call them and you can order it. And so when you get there, there it is, right there waiting for you. It's all about fast. Everything about technology is faster, faster, faster. I often ponder about missionaries a hundred years ago sent a, you know, they sent a letter and it would take months to get where it was going and take months to get a reply. And now we're upset if someone doesn't respond to our email within two minutes. It's all about faster. But it's not just about fast. It's about productivity. It's about being fast about how we produce things. And we as a culture value productivity Almost above anything else. What are you doing? How much have you made? How much have you accomplished? How much have you gotten? How much have you done? And it's all about productivity. In fact, we even talk about people and ask, are they productive members of society? We use productivity as a way of valuing people. It's all about what we produce. Now, it's not as though we aren't interested in what we produce or that God isn't interested in, about what, in what we produce. The first psalm says, you know, blessed are, is, are those who, who plant their trees by, by the river and water and whose delight is in the law of the Lord because they will produce great fruit. The problem is we tend to read that and think the goal is producing great fruit. The goal is planting our tree 
by the water. The goal is delighting in the law of the Lord. The fruit that comes out of it is simply the result of us working toward this goal. The same way with the parable Jesus tells about scattering seed. And it falls on different types of ground. And some of it falls on good soil and it takes root and it comes up. And it produces a harvest 30, 60, 100 times. And we think, we get in our minds, the goal is the harvest. The goal is not the harvest. It's creating soil in our lives that can, that in which seeds, the seeds of God and the Spirit will take root and grow. And the harvest is simply the result of what we're doing with the soil. See, as we're enamored with what we're producing, God is enamored with how we're getting there. He's enamored with the process. And the process is always going to involve waiting in some way or another. Because that's how we learn to trust. That's, those are the moments when we learn to surrender our control and to surrender our will and having things our way and our time. And that's why prayer is so vital to the fruit of the Spirit, but particularly patience. As I envisioned this series way back when I was first thinking about it, I wanted it to be connected to what we do every November in, in our 24-hour, three-week prayer vigil. And as we are planning that, there are some things that we're doing that are going to connect us with the fruit of the Spirit as we, as we go through that three-week vigil and praying together. Because prayer and waiting are connected. Now, we tend to think prayer, with prayer and waiting as, how long do I have to wait for God to give me what I want? But when we read the scriptures, we find over and over again, God is saying, you pray and then you wait. And I'll give you the right thing in the right way at the right time that I know is best. And your job is to pray and to wait. And the timing, that's my job. And in the waiting for God to answer... In the waiting for God to do what we're asking of him, that's where spiritual growth and spiritual maturity takes place. As Eugene Peterson says, waiting in prayer is really the discipline of refusing to act ahead of God when he wants to act. Now, let me just give you a warning. If you pray for patience, be prepared for God to give you opportunities to learn patience. And that's the rub. You can't learn it any other way. But as God begins to work in our lives because we've given him opportunities and we've... we've, we're desiring to wait and to surrender and to give up control, we will find God doing things in our hearts we couldn't have imagined. Think about godly people you know. Somebody that you think, I wish I could be like them. I wish I had the kind of relationship with God that I see in them. You think about that person Are they that way because they don't have any struggles? I'd be surprised. Are they that way because they're perfect? No. Are they that way because they follow all the exact rules of the do's and the don'ts and all the things like that that we have added on to what it means to be a Christian? No. It's because through waiting and patience, trusting God, they have developed a relationship with God of surrender and of joy. God wants us to know that same kind of relationship.
Father, we pray that you will help us as we wrestle not only with being impatient with each other, but quite frankly, impatient with you. Teach us to trust. And help us to find the joy of waiting. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. going to give you, again, opportunities to, to take this with you, whatever God may be saying to you. There are cards at the, at the ends of each of the rows, inside and outside. Make sure everybody in your row gets one of those. And sometime today, write on that card whatever God may be saying to you. It may be a word of encouragement, maybe a word of conviction, but whatever God may be saying to you, write it on the card and keep it in front of you. And join again this week in taking five minutes a day to pray for patience. And if you would like to talk with someone this morning, the elders are down by the prayer room. They would be happy to listen to you, pray with you, and to assist you as we together learn to trust God in waiting patience. Let's stand for the closing hymn.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. 